0: You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church slash messages. So, um, hey, one of the notes on the wall, we have a wall out here just for this series as you walk in. There's some butcher paper there and people are writing things down and you're welcome to write as well. Someone put, God gives me the hope to make it through each day, good or bad. I can rely on God to give me strength and joy. Isn't that good? That's someone who's putting their hope in God for their strength and for their joy. So, today, the title of the message is Hope in God. And let me tell you where it comes from. The verse that we're looking at today is in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24. So, we're going to, uh, can we put that up there? And I, what I want to do is, I just want to go old school here. I'd like us to stand, like the days of the Old Testament in the book of Ezra. Stand, and let's read this verse out loud together, all right? I want you to read it with some boldness, and uh, and let's go. The Lord is my portion. Uh, Lord God, make this word come to life. Quicken your spirit within us. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, please be seated. When I see this verse, um, I you need to know that we're going to look at this verse and the story behind this verse because this this whole message is about hope in God. It's not hope in your boss. It's not hope in another man. It's not hope in a woman. It's not hope in your money. It's not hope in your intellect. It's not hope in yourself. It's placing your hope in God. And what does that mean? So this right here was, uh, most people believe, was written by a guy named Jeremiah, the prophet. And uh, he, he wrote this uh, after, you can find Lamentations after the book of Jeremiah. But for you to appreciate this verse, we have to go 900 years before this verse was written. And we have to go to Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy chapter 28 is the parallel of Lamentations, the book of Lamentations. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, we're not gonna go through the whole book, but I encourage you to read it. Um, What God does is he lays out blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience for the children of Israel, for his people. So it's phenomenal when when you read through that and you can see how God blesses, and you can see the consequences of disobedience. So Deuteronomy chapter 28. Put it on your list. Read that chapter. So this chapter was a warning. It was not only a warning, but it was a hope for, for, the, for, for Israel that God gave them and said, look, if you follow me, this is what you could expect. If you obey me, this is what you could expect. But if you don't obey, then these are the consequences you will be living with. And it's a good word for us. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, this is written. In fact, verse 32 and 33 says this. You will watch, this is one of the circumstances or curses for disobedience. You will watch as your sons and daughters are taken away as slaves. Your heart will break for them, but you won't be able to help them. A foreign nation, You have never heard about, will eat the crops you worked so hard to grow. You will suffer under constant oppression and harsh treatment. So, God gives Israel this is what will happen if you disobey. And these two verses are fulfilled in Lamentations. And in fact, it happened 900 years later. Babylon is the foreign nation. And Babylon exiles Judah or Israel and takes them captive and removes them from the promised land, takes them out of Jerusalem and takes them about 900 miles away. And and now they're living on foreign soil and now they're far away from home. And now they're just kind of living with the consequences of disobedience. So maybe you could identify with this. I think all of us, there's this, uh, we all want a better life. I don't think that's the question, but sometimes we make decisions in life where things, we kind of reap the consequences of our decision. You know, something we've said here many times, I believe it was Swindoll, that said life consists of 20% decisions and 80% consequences of those decisions, right? So much of the consequences that you're living with right now is because of those 20% decisions that you made. So keep that in mind, who you're with, who you marry, all those kinds of things, what you decide to do. So at this point with Jeremiah, hope seems to be gone. Lamentations is, means lament. It's a song or a poem. And the whole song is about this time of Israel when they've messed up. They've messed up. It was written right around 586 to 588 B.C., So they're now living in this place. They're living in foreign soil. And and this King Nebuchadnezzar secured the city and stripped of its valuables on August 14, 586 BC. And now there's only rubble. And now you have the book of Lamentations. In fact, Swindoll, he said this, it's a mute reminder that sin, in spite of all its allurement and excitement, carries with it heavy weights of sorrow, grief, misery, barrenness, and pain. It is the other side of the eat drink and be merry, coin. You ever experience that yourself? You're attracted to sin or you're tempted to do it or whatever it is and you know you shouldn't do it, but you go into it anyway and you convince yourself the consequences won't be that great or you'll be able to manage the consequences. You'll be able to live with them. And then after a while, you realize it is over your head and you think, why in the world did I do this? And you're left with a, a complicated situation and you're wondering, what is this about? Now Judah feels like God's hand of judgment is on them. They feel like God's hand is on them and they've messed up big times, they blew it. And the prophet Jeremiah talks about how God is against him in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 13, he says this, he shot his arrows deep into my heart. He's referring to God. God shot his arrows deep into my heart. In verse 14, he says, my own people laugh at me. All day long, they sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness And giving me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away. And I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. You ever been at that low place? That low place where you recognize, you know what? It's too late. It's gone. Plan A is gone. Here's the crux of where Israel is at at this time. And here's their question. Two questions. Is it possible to push God so far that he would abandon you forever? Or another way to ask this question is, is God's supply of love and compassion limited? You know, I have my bottle of water up here. And I think for some of us, we look at something like this and we think, well, you know, I, I, God has exercised a lot of patience in my life, a lot of love, a lot of grace, but I've just screwed up so much. And I find myself in this situation again. And now I've got like this much left of God's patience for me. In our mind, we think like that. The, the, the truth is, some of you think like this when the truth is God's love is the Pacific Ocean. But we think, oh, well, you know, I, I, this, is where, this is where Judah is at, living in Babylon, thinking it's just too late. All we have are memories of what we could have been and who we could have been, and, and that's it. And we think it's just, it's just too late. And maybe it was a decision you made, and, and you're reaping the consequences of that decision one month later or six months later, or nine months later, or one year later. And now your life looks very, very different. And now you're wondering, is it too late? Is it too late for that father who walked out? Is it too late for that mom who who gave herself to, to the wrong person? Is it too late for that kid? Is it too late for that guy who's in prison? Is it too late for that addict? Is it too late for that marriage? Could it ever be redeemed? Is it too late? Am I just so far off the grid? Is it too late? You know, discouragement can creep into your life even when you don't even notice it. Discouragement can keep you down and, and hold you down. I got a call yesterday. I didn't share this with the other two services. I got a call yesterday from a pastor friend. I, I, I love pastors and talk to them all the time. And his pastor friend was talking to me about, he's, he's not in the Denver area. He, he talked to me about a situation he's facing and it involves um, his building, and there's contractors involved, and, and the, the contractor doesn't want to fulfill his, his responsibility. The insurance company is involved, and the insurance company doesn't want to pay out. And now he's being advised to have, hire an attorney and to sue the builder and to sue the contractor to try to get the money out because he's already in it knee deep. And and if, if he were to get it, if he were to win, so to speak, it would still be two full years before he would get the money to retrofit and renovate his sanctuary and their meeting off. Op- I mean, and he just told me, he said, Ruben, I'm just tired. I just want to be a pastor. I'm exhausted. And sometimes when you go through things, discouraging things, it can seep into and it can affect other areas and other circles of your life. And I get it. I totally get it. I've been there before where I've been like, you know what, I just want to be a pastor. I don't, I don't care. I just want to be a pastor. God has called me to this, and he's at this place, and he says, Reuben, what should I do? And I said, well, don't walk away. You need to take care of your soul. Don't make a permanent decision over a temporary circumstance. Don't make a permanent decision over a temporary circumstance. And hear this. There's no circumstance you're facing that is greater than God's love for you. There's no sin that's piled too deep. There's no hurt that's beyond his touch. There's no wrong turn that God can't redeem. I counsel people all the time and whether it's marriages or whatever it is and and a lot of times the thought is it's just too late. There's no way. God won't change him. God won't change her. He's too stubborn. She's too stubborn. Whatever it is. And I want you to know there's no heart that God can't crack open. There's no heart that God can't change. You pray for that person. Jeremiah says something in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Living in Babylon. You ever been around a situation where there's nobody to encourage you but you? There's nobody to encourage you but God? And you're, you're living in your own place. And he says this, yet I still, let's read that out loud together, dare to hope. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, dare to hope. Can you do that? Dare to hope. <clears throat> Have you been there before? like everyone has said, give up and give up on him and give up on her and give up on it and give up on it. And then there's something inside of you that says, no way, I dare to hope. I dare to hope that plan A is still available. I dare to hope that God's going to use all of this. I dare to hope. And look what he's talking about. He says, I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Woo, it's good. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. You know that hymn, don't you? His mercies began afresh each morning. Jeremiah's hope is in the faithful love of God. He's in, his hope is in this idea that his mercies never cease. He, he has this hope on this idea that the very DNA of God is love. Aren't you glad you have a God who loves better than you? Aren't you glad you have a God who's more faithful than you're faithful? Aren't you glad you have a God who keeps his promises? Because we've all broken promises before. Dare to hope. When you lose your job, you keep the faith. When you lose your money, you keep the faith. When you lose that child, you keep the faith. When you're lonely, when you have to downsize, when you mess up, you keep the faith. And then Jeremiah says this, verse 24. He says, I say to myself, and I just wanna stop there because it's so important what you say to yourself. Because if you, it, what you say to yourself will determine who you are or who you will be. If you say to yourself, this is a waste of time, guess what, it's a waste of time. If you say to yourself, there's no hope, guess what? You're already down. If you say to yourself, there's no way, you're already, you're already, you've already been beaten before the battle's begun. What you say to yourself matters. King David learned to encourage himself in the Lord with the words that he said to himself. You say to yourself, stuff like I'm not gonna quit. I'm not going out. It's hard, but I'm gonna press on. I've fallen, but God's gonna help me up. I'm not gonna give up. My hope is in God. And so many times those private moments, nobody's around and you can say something to yourself that you know is true from God's word. And you can be behind the car, behind the steering wheel. You can be wherever, you can be on a run or walk with a dog or whatever it is. And you make a resolute decision to walk with God. It's a huge point, what you say to yourself. Matters. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to hurt anyone. This will all work out. I'm going to go into that sin even though I know it's wrong. You say that to yourself and you walk into it, and the other side of that is remorse and destruction and pain, and the blessing of God will not be on it. Will not be on it. I say to myself, The Lord is my inheritance, therefore I, what church? I hope in him. Isn't that cool? It's this idea of like, you know what? God is my God, and I don't know how I got into this situation, but I will hope in him. I'm not going to let go. I will hope in him. He is my hope. And in fact, you look at this in another version. The NASB says it like this. I have hope in him. You know, the thing about hope, I did a little study on hope. And you know, a word that is used quite a bit in the Bible that, that, that just, just goes back and forth. You know what, hope, here's another word for hope that you see in here. Same, same meaning, wait. Wait. I will wait on him. It's this idea of, you know what, you're going through stuff or you've been praying and, and you haven't seen any results, but you're gonna sit and you're gonna wait I'm going to wait on God to change his heart. I'm gonna wait on God to change her heart. I'm gonna wait on God to change my circumstances. I'm gonna wait on God and trust that he knows the desires of my heart. I'm gonna wait on God and I'm going to believe that he's gonna work a miracle. I'm gonna wait on God and I'm just gonna walk by faith. Wait and hope, they go together. If you were to look in my Bible, I took a picture of it so you can see it, but um, right by this this verse that says, "The Lord is my portion," says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. There is a date in my Bible, and it's July two thousand nine. How many of you were at Thorn Creek Church in July two thousand nine? Raise your hand. Just yeah, a few of you. God bless you. I feel like I pastored five churches, and they're all called Thorn Creek. Um, so. So July 2009, let me tell you what was happening. Why, I, I had to do a little research, and I was like, why is this verse so emotionally connected to me? So in July 2009, we were meeting at the old Auto Troll building, which is Westgate School on Washington Street. Washington in 126, big red brick building. And it's called Westgate School, but at the, before it was Autotrol. So we were there for nine years. During those nine years, we grew to about five, 600 people during those days. But in July 2009, something was happening. We were about six years old and we were looking for a forever home. Um, we were lo- we've been looking for a forever home since we were 10 people, just to be honest with you. But this particular time was a little bit different because in July 2009, we were working with a company called Hobby Lobby. Have you ever heard of Hobby Lobby by Cabela's? Yep. So we were, oh, I love you, sweetheart. We, we, were, uh, we, were, at, we were working with uh, the owners of Hobby Lobby, the Green family. They're out of Oklahoma. And Hobby Lobby does something with select churches What they do is they buy a building that's a distressed situation and they pay a percentage of the appraised value and they buy it for the church, but they put it under their name, Hobby Lobby. They buy the building and one year later they deed the entire building and property over to the church for $1. That's what they do. Pretty good deal, huh? So that's what they did. And during that time, Hobby Lobby was involved. We, we, I talked to them on the phone. I met with a VP uh, on the phone, and, and they went through this checklist of what type of churches they help out. They have to see certain kinds of growth and certain kind of leadership and all that kind of thing. And it was like, check, 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 check. And we were so humbled and honored that they wanted to work with us and help us find a building. So we put an offer in. Actually, they put in three offers on behalf of Thorn Creek Church. One was for that Westgate school building. Another one was for the building right across the street. It's like a big white building on 128th. And Washington, I know you've seen it. It's a huge, it used to be Hunter Douglas, that that big white building. And then a third one for that big white building and the property. So at that time, they were putting in an offer in for the big building there. It's like 116,000 square feet or something crazy. And, and all the property there, which was like 30, 40 acres, the offer that they put in was like close to 9 million dollars for the great church Isn't that crazy that's a lot of money 9 million dollars so the conversations were going well and the offer was going in and it seemed like it was all warm so in July 2009 guess where I was at I was rallying the church I was at the Omni Hotel off of Highway 36, and we had about 500 people there. And I'm telling them about the Hunter Douglas building. It was a famous dinner known as the Immeasurably More Stewardship Dinner. Anybody remember those days, you were there at the Immeasurably More Stewardship Dinner? Remember, I stood up in front of everyone and said, hey, guys, Hobby Lobby's involved, and this is God's will, and we're going to move into this building. And I was so excited. This is going to happen. And I had a picture of, you know, the floor plan, and this is what's going to happen. So, I mean, I just feel like this is got God's moving. His favor is going going before us. And one month later, they turned down the offer. Anybody remember that? I'll tell you what, it's one thing on a personal level when things don't go your way. It's one thing on a personal level when it's within your home and you say, honey, it's not going to work out. That's one thing. It's a whole different gig when you're standing in front of 500, 600 people telling them, this is what I feel like God wants us to do, and then it doesn't work out. I had to work through some stuff, being honest with you. I had to work through stuff like God, I I thought I understood you, and am I just fooling myself? I, I thought I understood your plan and and it didn't happen. It makes you think about your relationship with God and your theology and your ability to discern God's will. Have you ever been there before? You thought something was the right thing, and it didn't happen, and now you're left wondering, what was that about? <laughs> that, didn't, that wasn't fun at all. But then there's this decision you have to make, and we're in, in such a beautiful place right now. We, we own the 15 Acres Free and Clear, and it's worth millions of dollars, and it's just a whole different situation. But there's this decision you have to make when you're on the other side, and the decision is this, am I still going to hope in God? Am I still going to walk by faith? Am I still going to trust him? Or am I going to quit? What am I going to do? Verse 31 in that same chapter says, For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. Those two words there in English, unfailing love, the original Hebrew says hesed, hesed. That word hesed in the original Hebrew language it's so powerful because there's not enough English words to you need many English words to really help you understand hesed here's what hesed love is right here it's a persistent and unconditional tenderness kindness and mercy it expresses both god's loyalty to his covenant and his love for his people along with a faithfulness to keep his promises a hesed love is this love that says, I love you, it's not conditional, I'm with you, though everyone walks out, I'm not gonna walk out, I, I, my promise is good, you can trust me, a Hesed love is so unique. We don't love like that. We love people that we like, that's who we love. We're in a relationship with people who don't stab us in the back, that's who we care about. And we, we turn our back to people who have hurt us and that's how we do this. You're either in or you're out. You're either blocked or you're in or you're a friend or you're unfriended. And that's the way we're, that's our flesh. That's our human nature. But the Hesed love of God is so different. The Hesed love of God goes beyond everything. I love the way uh, Vine's Expository Dictionary says it. Hesed implies personal involvement and commitment in a relationship beyond the rule of law. Isn't that good? It's this idea of, you know, like, God, will you love me when I'm in Babylon? When I've messed up and I'm over here in Babylon, will you love me? And that's the Hesed love of God. The Hesed love of God will meet you on the other side after you binge. The Hesed love of God will meet you on the other side after you're crawling out of bed with that person that you never should have had sex with. The chesed love of God will meet you at that strip joint, at that bar, after you look at that porn, even in the middle of it. The chesed love of God can go to your Babylon and meet you because God loves you and God wants you to turn from your sin and God wants you to give him all of your life. That's the chesed love of God. It can meet you on the other side. I like the way this person who wrote Walking in the Dust of the Rabbi Jesus said, she said, Hesed is a bone-weary father who drives through the night to bail out his drug-addicted son out of jail. Hesed is a mom who spends day after thankless day spoon-feeding and wiping up after her disabled child. Hesed is an unsung pastor's wife whose long-suffering tearful prayers keep her exhausted husband from falling apart at the seams. Hesed is love that can be counted on decade after decade. It's not about the thrill of romance, but the security of faithfulness. Been there before? It's that decision to stay even though you've seen the worst. You know what that's like. When you say, I do, and you see the other side, and you say, okay, I, I do again. You know what I mean? When you get past that seven year itch mark, and you say, I, I'm going to love you with a hesed love. When things don't go well and you say we're in this together, I'm gonna this is a Hesed relationship, but I'm gonna we're we're in it. And Father time creeps up, you say, I'm this is I'm I'm still gonna be with you. And when you see that friend or that partner make that terrible decision and you say, My Hesed love, I still love you, I'll still with you. When you look in the New Testament, you know, Jesus, <clears throat> he was born and, and he 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 shows this hesed love and and the place that the Lord took me to involved this this woman caught in adultery because there was a law, there was a law in place. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, it tells us that all you need is two witnesses to convict someone. So these law people bring this woman. I wanna start at verse three. It says, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. i just think about that for a little bit. This woman was caught in the what? In the... Act of adultery. What was that like? This woman, first of all, ladies, let me just feel you for a little bit. Where's the guy? Can I get an amen from our ladies? Can I get mm-hmm from our ladies? <laughs> Where's the guy? So he's caught in the act of adultery, having sex in a room. These guys you know, barge in, while they're under the sheets or on the sheets, whatever, and pull her out and bring her to Jesus. Can you think of a worse thing that could happen to this woman? I can't think of a worse thing that'll happen. Think about you in your darkest moments. The last thing you want is me to be there. Or God, you know, the last thing you want is for church. To, you don't want that at all. I was—I uh, didn't share this last time either. I was in um, um, in Colorado Springs when I was going to Bible college. Um, there was uh, one of our guys, and and gambling was not something that I just don't believe you should gamble. I'll just say that, and and because uh, we're stewards of God, and and I went to Blackhawk uh, one day because my sister-in-law lived in in. Uh, it wasn't Black Hawk. It was Cripple Creek. My sister-in-law lived in Cripple Creek, so we went to go visit her. Remember that baby? We went to go visit her. There's donkeys in Cripple Creek. So when we went over there to Cripple Creek, we were told like the the, the meals are really affordable in Cripple Creek. And so I, I said, well, let's go get a steak dinner. I'm never here in Cripple Creek anyway, and I don't come over here. So I, I walk upstairs to to the the top level to this where this restaurant is. Of course, you got to go through all casinos and I mean through all the the whatever the jukeboxes and stuff, whatever you call them. But um, you walk through the whole thing, and at the very top, I'm going to. To the, to, the, to, the, to the table, I have to walk through this, and lo and behold, there is my buddy from Nazarene Bible College sitting there with all of his chips on his table. And as soon as I walk up right past him, he goes, "Hey, Reuben, how's it going? What are you doing here?" He started, <laughs> That's hilarious. I am so glad God doesn't let us get away with anything. I'm not, who am I? I'm just a person, I'm just a human. But I'm so glad God meets us in those places that we don't want him to be. Because he's like, I'm not gonna let you go there. I'm not gonna let you go there. This woman is brought to Jesus in the act, right? In verse four says, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that he could use, that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Boy, people are wicked. You ever seen people who are just wicked and conniving and scheming? Manipulative? You know anyone like that? You know, they're one person at church, but you know who they really are away from church? You know what I mean? Verse 7 says, They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, well, let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Famous words of Jesus. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. I want you to notice something. He, he, he didn't wash down the law. He didn't say, you know what? We're going to exempt her because that sin was okay. He didn't say that. He said, you're right. But what? But he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Verse 8 says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And there's been a lot of guesses on what he wrote. We don't know. Verse 9 says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the who? You ever wonder why did the oldest drop their rocks first? What was that about? Why did the young ones hold on to their rocks Why did the young ones hold on? Why were they the last ones to hold on to their rocks? Why did the older ones say, I'm out of this party. I'm checking out of this circle. Why did the older ones do that? I'll tell you why. I believe the older ones have a perspective of God's grace that the younger ones haven't gained yet. The older ones know themselves and they've been around. They've lived long enough where they recognize how much they need God's grace and how many times they've messed up. And the older ones said, you know what, life is short. I'm going to be dropping my rocks. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm out of this party. I'm out. And the younger ones eventually did the same thing. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. He's the only one that could have accused her. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then what does Jesus say? And Jesus said, neither do I and what church go? Wow. See the art of Jesus? He handles her with such grace and tenderness, and kindness. Like this beautiful soul, who's just came out of this dark place, full, just no no telling, no telling what she's been through. No telling how she feels about herself. No telling the lies that she's bought into that has led her to this place with this reputation. No telling what got her there, but he handles her with such grace. Did you notice in the story, he never says, you, woman, what do you have to say? How could you have done this? Do you think Jesus saw her when she was turning tricks in the room? Do you think Jesus saw her when she was with that man? I think he did just like he saw Nathaniel and just like he saw Philip and just like he saw Paul, Saul, just like he saw so many others. I believe Jesus sees us. God sees you. And it breaks God's heart. It breaks God's heart when we live on the backside of Deuteronomy chapter 28 instead of the front side. And instead, he says, go and sin no more. I want you to hear this. When you turn to God, you aren't defined by your past sense. You aren't defined by what others say about you. You aren't defined by your darkest moments. You were defined by the love of God in Christ. Jesus Christ is our when you turn to God. That's what God wants to do. He wants you to live a righteous life. He wants you to live a holy life. He wants you to turn away from that life and sin. He doesn't want you to be naive and continue to go down that road that leads to sin. If you see that road and where it leads, stop right now. Stop right now. Don't go any farther down that road. Change your phone number. Get out of that job. Don't go down that street. Whatever it takes, don't go down that road. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Instead, turn and embrace the chesed love of God and turn to him and say, God, I'm going to live a righteous life for you, God. My hope is in you, God. My hope is in you. And you see the chesed love of God throughout scripture and you see it with this woman who is caught in adultery and this famous story of this unnamed woman. And you say, wow. Uh, Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, 2020, we won't see each other again till 2020. Many of you, I won't see you again. Isn't that crazy? 2020? Wow. Um, Here's what I want to encourage you to do. In 2020, will you make a commitment to God that's different from 1999? I know how some of you feel about New Year's resolutions. I I get it. But I want to challenge you to make a commitment to God. Now, here's the key word. Make it a small commitment. And let's see how God grows it. Make it a small commitment. Maybe it's every day I'm going to read at least one verse in my Bible. We'll start off small. Every day, I'm gonna read at least one verse in my Bible. Or maybe it's every day after I roll out of bed, I'm gonna to fall to my knees in my underwear and I'm gonna pray and ask God to bless this day. Can you make that small decision? Those small decisions, they, they, they breed, they, 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 they encourage. That small decision, maybe it's I'm going to attend church more often. Right now, you faithfully attend once a month or, I don't know, twice a month, but maybe it's gonna, you're going up at one. Or maybe it's related to giving. You give zero dollars or you give very little or you give God your scraps or whatever it is. But maybe just say, you know what, God, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to go up in my giving. Or maybe it's just doing something kind. Every week, you're going to do something kind to someone who can't pay you back. And maybe it's doing something kind and you don't tell anyone that you did it. Only it's between you and God. So here's what I want you to do. Decide what that is. Decide what that is. That's between you and God. But here's what I want you to do on New Year's Eve. This is something I've done for many years and I want to encourage you to do it. Um, Wherever you're at when the new year comes in, maybe you're gonna be at a house or at a restaurant or, or your house, I don't know. But wherever you're at, when, when the new year turns, here's what I want you to do. In 2019, now maybe you, you you celebrate when the ball drops in New York City, or maybe you celebrate when it hits Australia. I don't know, <laughs> but whenever it happens in 2019, find a room somewhere. If you're at someone's house, or if you're at, if if you're you know someone's house or whatever, go into the bathroom and close the door in 2019 and fall to your knees and thank God for his grace and faithfulness in 2019. Can you do that? You have to do it on the front side, 2019. So you find that quiet place. You don't have to tell everyone. You don't have to make an announcement. Just find a quiet place between you and God in 2019. Now, when 2020 rolls around, go back to the bathroom. Go back to the bathroom, after the hugs and kisses and high fives and slaps on the butt, whatever you do, go, go, to the, go to the bathroom again and fall on your knees and your face and saying, God, I, I need you in 2020. I need you to move in 2020, change me in 2020. Can you do that? Do it on both sides. That's something I've done, and I love doing it right before it breaks, right before it turns. So do it in 2019 if you need to do it an hour, two hours, three hours before it turns, whatever it is. But find a place and do it, and let God have his way in your heart. Our hope is in our God. Our hope is in our God. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And God, I'm, I'm so grateful that your Hesed love reaches Babylon. I'm so grateful that, God, God, you're a God who who stays when everyone leaves. And you're a God who's faithful when we're unfaithful. and, and, And just like the prophet Jeremiah, I will hope in you. I have hope in you. I trust in you. So, God, I know there's people here who are going through tough stuff. And would you just tell God, God, my hope is in you. Just tell them that. My hope is in you. If you need to receive Jesus Christ and you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, would you say this prayer? Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my savior. Forgive me for my sins. I turn from them. And I choose to follow you. Thank you, God, for your grace and your love. Continue to have your way here, Lord. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church.